0: Welcome to the Disaster Tough podcast, where we talk about emergency management by emergency managers. I am John Scardina, the host. I share my experience as a former federal emergency response official who's responded to some of the most extreme disasters over the past decade. I now lead a private emergency management firm called Doberman Emergency Management that focuses on emergency planning, mitigation, and response. Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. We have another excellent show for you today. I'm so excited. I get to interview one of my great friends, Kevin Coleman. He and I served on the national IMAT together. We're going to be talking about that quite a bit and some of those response experiences. And he has definitely moved on from the IMAT, just like me. He's actually higher up in FEMA now. He's the program liaison for the FEMA Corps. He was, again, the resource unit leader when we were on the IMAT. He was a FEMA Corps team member, a team leader, uh, rather, when um, before he became the resource unit leader. And so he's going to be talking about all that experience. And so he can he can really be talking about uh, what it's like to volunteer, what it's like to uh, move forward in your career and to, to really be a leader there. Uh, just a heads up on Kevin. You're going to hear this quite a bit from our episode today, but he's one of those guys that I've been super impressed with throughout my career and, and just watching him and watching how he interacts with other people. So he's going to be talking quite a bit about leadership and uh, work ethic, and those are response experiences. So I'm really excited for today. Kevin, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, John. Super uh, super stoked to be on here. I've listened to uh, some former colleagues we interviewed, so good to be on.
0: Yes. You, and you definitely uh, meet the bar for that. So we've had so, a few legends that I would call. Uh, of course, Rodney Melsick, our old boss, but uh, Patrick McGinn. And we've actually had FEMA Corps on here too, right? With Cameron. So... I mean, you can really like uh, loop all that in together too. So uh, again, welcome to the show. Uh, so just for our listeners' sake, you know, I, I kind of teed you up and talked about like how you've had all these experiences uh, uh, throughout your career so far. And you're going to have a, a ton more, obviously, with the, the current roles you have. Um, in fact, you're getting your master's right now too, right? From uh, Colorado, Denver, right? Yep,
1: absolutely.
0: Awesome. So maybe we could talk about that. So... Can you just walk us through kind of your career path of of that FEMA core, or how did you even get into FEMA core, and then you know just how did you progress so quickly in your career?
1: Sure. Um, so, emergency management is something that uh, had intrigued me in undergrad, but it's something that I never never really um, got to do. But I saw it in the news. Um, I I was required to do an internship, and I actually interned with Indiana University's Go Hoosiers, uh EM department uh, the summer before my senior year. So I got a little taste of what EM was, got to do some special events with them, uh, sat in the EOC for basketball games, that sort of thing. And uh, after graduation, took a job in the private sector and sort of figuring out what I wanted to do, uh, I, I stumbled upon AmeriCorps. One of my college friends was in an AmeriCorps program, so I did some searching and stumbled upon FEMA Corps. Awesome. And you could say the uh, the rest is sort of history. Once <laughs> I got into FEMA Corps, uh, you know, it led me to where I am today.
0: Yeah, after after talking to so many FEMA Corps people, I mean, we have FEMA Corps members on our our team, for example, and um, following up with Patrick, who's in FEMA Corps, and, and Cameron, who's in FEMA Corps, and yourself. A lot of people say, Hey, I heard about FIBA core through word of mouth and so I think that's a, a a testament to the program because so many people keep talking about it you know um
1: yeah it's a super super unique program uh for sure uh but one that is a very uh the the, the network of current members and alums is very strong
0: yeah that's cool uh so you went into FIBA core obviously join When you were in FEMA Corps, did you do uh, like what was your role then there? Because I know that some are assigned to IMATS, others assigned to like DSA, that kind of stuff. What what were you doing?
1: Sure. Um, So first, uh, I'll I'll give a quick blurb about what FEMA Corps program is. Uh, (laughs) I I know not all not all listeners are fully familiar, uh, but FEMA Corps is a partnership program between Americorps and FEMA. And essentially, it is a program designed for 18 to 20, well, 18 to 26 year olds now with the CARES Act. And it is designed for these young adults who might be right out of high school, might be taking a gap year. Uh, We have folks that come in with bachelor degrees, master's degrees, those sorts of things um, that are really looking for an opportunity to uh, earn some hands-on EM emergency management experience. Uh, looking to develop some of those leadership, uh, interpersonal skills and uh, give back to their communities. So this program uh, it, it sort of changes based on uh, the year and the need on how big it is, that sort of thing and what the what the projects are. But generally speaking, uh, these folks uh, come onto a central campus, they receive about four to six weeks of training, mm. and then we throw them out to to support a variety of projects. So my year, uh, I was a team leader, so I, I led uh, about 10 other members that were in the program. We traveled across the country in these 15 passenger vans. And it was brutal, but it, you, you, you gain a lot out of it that, that you might not recognize at the moment. Um, but yeah, we got to do all sorts of things. We did preparedness projects. We responded to, to disasters. Uh, and, I, and I can talk about some of those experiences here later on. Uh, but it, but it really is. Uh, I think of the program as sort of your emergency management generalists, mm-hmm. uh, where where folks get to you know touch every every part of emergency management.
0: Yeah, I I remember um, because of your background with FEMA Corps and um, Rodney's um, affiliation with FEMA Corps as well. When when we would have FEMA Corps members come onto the team, I would always joke around that they were interns. Because even though that's not what it is, and I got plenty of flack for that, I mean, if you're doing FEMA core right, you, you had this opportunity to really touch base in a lot of those areas. And you guys would stress that so much of, hey, work with GIS a little bit, work with planning a little bit, work with ops a little bit, and um, be able to really see like those different, um, those different areas and, and see if that uh, excites you a little bit. And it sounds like that's kind of what happened with you on your internship, where you kind of got that bug, Right. Um, Absolutely. Once you once you start getting involved with emergencies, it's really hard not to want to like keep doing it. At least that's what I found for myself. But, um, so switching gears just a little bit here, when we're going forward in into like that that career experience and like all those different things, you served quite a bit of time on the IMAT. And uh, again, just for listeners, yeah, if you look at Pekamera, the Post Katrina Reform Act. Uh, the the, IMAS, the national IMAS were developed out of that. So that's when I talk about that type one national strike team. That that language comes from the camera. And uh, Kev, Kevin definitely had a lot of experience there. And then now that he's with headquarters, he still deploys out a lot. And so he's seen a ton of different disasters. And so when we talk about a type one disaster, thinking of the actual event and the scope of that event, um, I, I kind of want to focus on the tempo rather than the scale. Because... As a resource unit leader on the national IMAT, I, I really felt like you, you could speak to the pace of a disaster much more than than other people because you, you just understood the resource allocation and you're able to to set the tempos for all those different meetings that had to happen within the ops period. So what would be kind of your definition of a type 1 event, a type 2 event, and type 3 event in, in terms of the, the tempo of the disaster?
1: Sure. Um, so... Typing is is definitely more of a more of an art than a science. Uh, I, I remember when we were deployed, I, I'd make all these informal metrics on you know how how busy it is <laughs> when we should demobilize uh, those sorts of things. Um, but the, the couple of things that come to mind for for type one uh, tempo is certainly up there um, but also complexity mm. and uh, being able to uh, create novel solutions. so, it's something that's not standard. It's not routine. Uh, there, there's playbooks, there's rules, there's policies, but they may or may not be applicable mm-hmm. because we're dealing with something that's just that we haven't seen before. Yeah. So the, like those are some of the things that, that <laughs> like a pandemic and now you add <laughs> any other disaster on top of a pandemic, uh, wow. you know, as, as we're talking, you we have, uh, you know, hurricane Delta going through, going through the Gulf. Uh, so there's been a lot of preparedness, uh, going on with that. Uh, so it really is just that you know that level of complexity that, that stands out for me.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, you're talking about the informal metrics. I had this metric that when people would come up to me and talk about t-shirts, uh, I knew that it was time to go home. Like
1: so, oh, so, you know, responses ended, recoveries, recoveries there.
0: Yeah, and and that doesn't um, just for like people who haven't done a response before, or, like really focus on that planning piece. Uh, that preparation piece. It, it doesn't, how do I say this? It's like, it's just as important. Recovery is just as important, of course, but the tempo slows down because, because the life-saving, life-sustaining part is over and you're just trying to get back to normal. And so now you're starting to see like those eight-hour days, 40 hours a week kind of stuff. But in the response like that all goes out the window, it's literally just work until the job's done and, um, support where you can. And that's really the, the mission of the IMATS in, in my perspective is to support that response period. Uh, so that's a really good call out, uh, talk about complexity. I've been preaching all year that every disaster right now is a dual threat scenario, right? And all those complexities. And so maybe you could talk about a little bit about that, uh, later when we talk about what FEMA is doing right now. Um, but, uh, just like kind of going through that, um, and now that we understand the scope, what are some of those like major disasters that stand out to you, and why were they impactful for you?
1: Sure. And um, so, something that, that that I'll note quick first is sometimes uh, I need to remind myself that disasters are "quote unquote" type ones at the local level. It doesn't matter what the disaster is, right? Mm. Um, so, trying to uh, conceptualize that, even when we're on a you know a type three disaster, we I, I think we were in, in Georgia together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a few other places that you know I didn't—they weren't really uh, life-saving type events. Yeah. Um, but still, like those local communities are are, are certainly, uh, you know, going going through the ringer there.
0: We well, uh, well, talked about complexity. I mean, p- political complexity is a thing that we have to, as emergency managers, we have to deal with all the time. So, talk about Georgia. Sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, but the one that definitely stands out is, is Hurricane Harvey. Uh, that, that's something that uh you know thinking back i was actually um i'm not sure if you were you were there in uh, region four with us or not but we had about half the team in region four half the team back home and uh we we got the call to demobilize from our hurricane planning scenario tabletop exercise that we were doing
0: <laughs> so it was
1: that. uh all too all too similar to uh, the the events that transpired over the next few weeks uh with with a harvey strike and then um irma and maria but so you know shifting kind of just shifting gears going from a a tabletop exercise to uh you know cat 5 hurricane um coming in like instantly the level of complexity was raised you have Mm. millions of people um that are about to be impacted there's a lot of decisions that have to be made a lot of resources that have to be moved and uh Positioned and prioritize. And I think part of the type one is there's not enough time. Like You don't have enough time to do everything that you need to do. So you have to prioritize. You have to be able to make decisions with limited information. You have to be able to take a certain amount of risk um, to do everything that you can uh, with what you have in the timeframe that you have.
0: We try to find a clip. Um, sometimes it's harder than others. We try to find a clip to promote an episode and you just nailed it. I mean, that, that is, that is the mission, right? You, you don't, you don't have time to do everything that you need to do and you have to prioritize and you will never have enough information. Um, yeah. Hurricane Harvey. I remember because you guys were only supposed to be out there for like a week, right? So
1: (laughs) Uh, my my suitcase was packed for a week.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. Hurricane Harvey, I've talked about it so much, obviously. And um, Hurricane Harvey stood out for me with you for uh, the main reason of, you know, we would uh, we had been to a lot of disasters and we were doing our roles and, you know, it's kind of the normal tempo. And uh, one by one, I kind of saw other people kind of burn out and uh, everybody burns out. I burn out. And uh, there's there's no discredit to that. But I remember there was like this moment where I felt like it was you and I just just relentlessly going forward and uh, no breaks. And um, I already had a lot of respect for you. And then it was just like, you know, through the roof. And so I just want to call you out on that as, um, you know, it's when I was like, oh, this guy is the man. This is why uh, it's so great to work with him. Um, and so like thinking of that leadership and a work ethic mentality that you have you kind of really do stand out and i think you know that uh maybe it's cuz you're a hockey referee maybe you, you like you, you're able to 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 corral things but but it is true i mean you were like the first one in the office <laughs> i was like the worst one for coming into the office i hated coming to the office i'm not a morning person but you were there you were there every morning before everybody else you you, you were Ah, uh, you're extremely focused, and um, you're able to to gather in um, a lot of credibility really fast. And so, like for you, because you you achieve excellence often, why do you think that you're able to achieve that excellence? And um, is that something you actively think about, or is it a, a byproduct of your current processes?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's it's definitely something that I don't consciously think about too often um, it's one of those things that I kind of look back on in certain circumstances and it's like oh I could have done this better or I think I did well at this um, but in, in the moment for me it's, it's all about the mission you, if you if you give me a mission you give me a goal you give me a deadline I'm going to do what I can to, to meet that mark and it's something especially with uh, instances like Harvey uh, remembering sort of The purpose of what you're doing, I think, is important, and I think it's easy to lose that sometimes, lose that perspective, lose lose the why, uh, if you will, and I think that's when it gets a little bit harder to keep pushing on. But uh, so you know, keep keep if I keep reminding myself why I'm doing what I'm doing, it it seems to 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 be pretty easy to uh, you know get up and keep going.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a good point. The why. I think um, one, I I was trying, I I often think about the same questions I ask my guests of how I would answer. Um, And, um, you know, I was thinking about some of the responses I've gotten is a little different. It's like your confidence is able to get you into into rooms. Like, John, why are you so confident? And I think it's, I think we have the, the same mentality of whatever our role is, if I'm extremely prepared, if I know what my role is, and I can, if I can do that, great. Then that confidence can can just uh it precedes itself. And so for those new emergency managers who are looking to have that confidence, or looking to have to, to achieve excellence, to to kind of stand out in the career, uh, or at least in in their sphere of influence, I would say whatever your role is, just know it very very well. And so when you get questioned, you're going to get pushback. Everybody gets pushback. Um, you have to be able to say like, no, this is, this is why we do this. And this is X, Y, and Z. And not just like the emotional side, because I think all emergency managers, great emergency managers think about that humanitarian side, but also the theory and the complexity of your job, whatever it is, you know? And so I think that's a great call out too. Um, Okay. So you're able to to achieve these results you think about the why and you're able to do that like that self after action it sounds like um let's talk about building credibility a little bit can you give like an experience or or two where you felt that you were like the new guy in the room and um you're able to build that credibility and, and what was the result of that
1: Sure. Uh, I, I think I always feel like I'm the new guy in the room, uh, <laughs> whether whether that's true or not. Um, no, I I think my approach has always been and is um, sort of taking in the the environment, whether it's adapting to the situation I'm in and just sort of observing uh, the the tempo at which people are are operating. Um, and sort of being a sponge and absorbing it, mm-hmm. and then once I once I absorb it, then I'm able to uh, offer ideas. So it's kind of asking questions first. Um, I uh, I just took this uh, two day class a few weeks ago. Actually, um, it was the, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective Managers. Mm. So it's a spin off of uh, you know the the, the book. Yeah. Um, and one of their principles is seek first to understand, then seek to be understood. Mm. And I think that really resonated with me on, you know, how I like to approach problems and read rooms uh, is really just before I open the door, go into this conference room and start blurting out my thoughts and ideas. It's, uh, you know, sitting in the back row, uh, watching, seeing how how things are done and then, uh, then starting to uh, ask the questions just to stir the pot, if you will, or, uh, <laughs> Them to think outside
0: the box. Oh, that's such a much better way than I do it. Because I just go in there with a ball of fire and I start <laughs> talking to people. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the gift of gab, I guess. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a smart call out, and I think Rodney's kind of like that too. I think he kind of likes to feel things out, and then he'll start making recommendations based off of reading the room. Um, so that's that's a really good call out. In fact, yeah. And- sorry.
1: No, I was going to say that that's something that, uh, relating it back to the FEMA core program is we take these 18, 20 year olds, we give them a week or two of training and then we just throw them out the door and say, (laughs) go forth and do things. Yeah. And it, it, I think it's a great part about the program is because we put them in these situations that they're not comfortable in. Uh, and it really gives them the opportunity to start asking those questions, uh, and that's something that I always encourage them to do is ask the why if you don't know why you know if you don't know the why of what you're doing, you need to ask that. And if we can't provide you that answer, then we need to you know assign you to do something differently because uh, if, if I can't tell you the why, then then there's some disconnect there.
0: Um, yeah, that's a good point. It made me think of uh, what is the name of that? It's like the um it's like the growth wheel. It's like if you're comfortable, you won't grow. If you're uncomfortable, that's where you grow. And if you're overwhelmed, um, you'll crumble. And so it's the idea that you want to stay in this, uh, this, this path of a little bit uncomfortable. And as, you're, as you stay uncomfortable, your sphere of what becomes comfortable grows. And you're able to, to grow more and more. And quite frankly, working with uh, the FEMA Corps, the ones who are humble, the ones who are teachable, who are like, just able to soak it in, do whatever we asked, Uh, they ended up being like my favorites, not because I'm like this like hardcore like, you know, I like crack the whip kind of guy, but I was I appreciated that they wanted to learn, and if they wanted to learn, I wanted to teach them, you know. And uh, it would get to the point where, um, we would build up this relationship of trust, and then they could come to me and say like, hey, I don't want to do this, or hey, like I have a question here, or I think you know, I would ask them their opinion on things. Um, Cameron is uh, by far uh, one of the, one of the the easiest examples to share because he's been on the show. He's definitely like that, where he came in and he's very teachable. And now, you know, I I see him as a trusted friend, and you know, I'll, I'll ask his opinion on things. So, and, again, great call out. Um, but speaking of credibility, I I will never forget my first day on the National IMAT West. And Rodney, as I've talked about before, uh, bamboozled me and told me we would only travel 22 days a year. And I was married, and I had to convince my wife (laughs) to let me join this team where I'd be gone for 22 days a year. And she's okay with that. Uh, And then Dana Tofar, who's excellent in what she does, Patrick McGinn, who's been on here, and now yourself, uh, and Kyle uh, Gagne. um, We're all talking about how often you guys traveled. I especially remember looking across and seeing Dana and you be like, yeah, we, we try to go out the door as much as possible. We're gone all the time. And I was like, Oh no, (laughs) I was freaking out in my head. What am I going to tell my wife? What am I going to do? And, um, I remember like two weeks later, there was a training down in Texas. There was, um, there was a hurricane, um, response plan review, uh, with the state of Texas and Andy, uh, Andy John was going down there and I was like, Oh, I'm I, I better go so these people know I'll, I'll be willing to travel. But I had no idea what I was doing. Ah, oh, man, that was so funny. But uh, we ended up traveling a lot, and my wife was cool with it. And uh, you guys definitely set the the pace there. I'm glad that uh, it encouraged me to get out the door because that that gave me a ton more experience too.
1: Yeah, I'm i I'm, I'm a trial by fire kind of guy, and I I attribute I think a lot of you know the experience I was able to get was I think I traveled when well, when I look back almost continuously the first six months of them job. Yeah. Um, Rodney told me uh, it, was, it was day one. I was supposed to report to the office. Like, don't even go to the office, go to the, the, the joint field office that we have set up in California cool. because they're doing, um, I think it was a wildfire uh, recovery. And like you, this is more important for you to, to see this experience. So I was there for about six weeks. Mm. You know, I'd only been to our actual office, you know, one or two days in that time frame, And then I deployed for the next, Five months. It was just deployment after deployment after deployment. Gosh. Exercise deployment. Uh, but without that, you know, without that experience, it, I would have. It, it was like years worth of experience packed into a, a short, short kind of
0: timeframe. Yeah, that that is exactly right. Years of experience packed into such a short. The, the IMATS have to be out the door. Like if I could give my pitch to anybody who has their ear to IMATS, uh, please get them out the door as much as possible. Individual deployments. Uh, team deployments, of course, you want to build that team unity, but those individuals as well. I mean, I I will always be grateful that your guys' example getting onto the team, and then Rodney also encouraged me. I mean, be, between trainings and individual deployments and team deployments, um, I mean, I I ended up going out the door quite a bit as well. In fact, um, one of my favorite places going up to was to Seattle because I was able to train with um, like professionals. I had James Dewar on here before. Uh, for example, just people who knew their jobs so well, and I was I was wanting to soak in. I wanted that confidence to g- do good at my job. So, um, get the eye mouths out the door. Okay, uh, let's see. So, because we talked about Rodney and Patrick a little bit, I asked Patrick the same role, uh, same same question. Another role model in emergency management uh, about the mentality. So we talked about maybe the complexity or the the the, the tempo of, des- of a type one, type two, or type three. But just like to go back a little bit, I felt like I had informal metrics of like, oh, that person's a type three. That person's a type one. And uh, I always wanted to be known as like a type one type of person, right? But Rodney would always talk about He's like, I'll be a type one emergency manager, be a type one emergency manager. So what would you define? Like if you're going to walk into a room, do you have experiences where you're like, oh, I know that person can walk into any situation, novel ideas, get the job done versus... Oh, they need the th- you know the eight-hour days, forty hours a week.
1: Sure. Uh, so, I I, I don't want to say FEMA broke me, um, but FEMA, <laughs> I used I used to be very um, I, I liked lists, I liked itineraries, I liked sort of uh, planning, if you will. Yeah, that sounds uh, like a
0: really source unit leader. Yeah,
1: but I I think we're you know, it differentiates from type three to type one. Is type three is you you can follow the the SOP, um, you can follow the the guidebook, you can reference the rules, you can reference the policies. Type two, it's a little bit less so. You have to be very familiar with those, but you also have to be uh, willing to think a little bit more strategically uh, and not quite in the leads. And then you get to type one, and it's you're kind of pushing those books to the side. You, you know, you you know they exist. Uh, you know, there's Rules and frameworks for a reason, and you should stay within them. Um, I'm a big, big believer uh, believe it or not about the incident action planning process. Uh, <laughs> but I think it's, um, it's it's the process that's important. It's not it's not the product. It's it's bringing those people together to the table to have the conversations that are needed uh, and to make make decisions. And I think you know you, you might operate within the same framework on a type one event, type two event, type three event. But I think where it really differentiates on type 1 event is you're willing to alter that process a little bit. Um, so whether it's adjusting meeting times, it's adjusting the, the ICS forms because they just don't quite meet the unique situation, whatever it is, mm-hmm. uh, it's being able to, and I, I touched on a little bit earlier, but sort of take, take the risk, um, do something different, pose new ideas, uh, and, and think outside the box as to, Having that kind of in the box mentality, no, we can't do this. It's and I remember it in Harvey, it happened all the time. Is uh, get me to yes. How do how do I get to yes within the you know as long as it's legal safe uh, and moral. Like how do you get to how do you get to yes to to help the survivor uh, at the end of the day? So I think that's that's the big difference.
0: Yeah, that's um, the the word that came into my mind was templates. If you have to operate within a template, you're a type three. If you know what the template is, but you don't really have to reference it, but you're still trying to follow it, maybe you're a type two. And then type one. The only way you can get to a type one, by the way, is as if you're an expert in the others. Like if you can get into theory. Like there's a lot of people who like to give an opinion on things, but they're, they're just really just not an expert. And they're you know, they they're welcome to keep their opinion to themselves. But like once you understand the, the scope of everything and you're able to work within that... Um, it's not so much like what rules can I break, but just knowing what rules you can't break. Right. Absolutely. Um, and that's, that's kind of like what um, I would see from our team was just like, just so many people knew their jobs so well that we would walk into a situation we would often like, okay, here's the plan. Great. Let's figure out what's going on now. Um, And, Quite frankly, when you see people only working through with templates, you're like, uh oh, you know, maybe they should, um, maybe keep studying a little bit. Um, okay, so we're talking about leadership, we're talking about like that mentality. Um, uh, it's really easy to see this in FEMA core, um, but of course, it applies to, to across the board. Like, what? What do you see now as a great leader? Like, what are some of those qualities? Some of those traits? I mean, you said you took a course. I mean, it's a—it's awesome, by the way. Just to call this out before we even get into that, I noted like several times. I'm like building up way big on this show of like, hey, he's a great leader. He has tons of experience. He knows what he's—he's he's, he's doing. He's uh, you know, program liaison now at FEMA headquarters. Da 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 da. And you said, oh, just a couple of days ago, I took another two-day course on leadership. So like, that's awesome. Um, so like, what are the traits of being a great leader and, um, what would you say, especially to the female core, um, who have to walk into those new situations? How do you be a good team member?
1: Sure. I I think there, you're going to start seeing some themes here with my previous answers. Mm -hmm. Uh, but when it comes to, to to leading, I, I'm, I'm a big believer of leading by example. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so if if, you know, you're, you're the duck on the surface of the pond, Uh, I look calm, cool and collected, even if I'm paddling super hard underneath, Mm -hmm. uh, I I think that kind of symbolizes with with a lot about leadership. You, you have to, uh, you know, understand that your energy is reflected down to your team members. Um, so that's something that I talk to our team, leads a lot is look, you might be in a situation that's uncomfortable. You might not have all the information. Um, you might be dealing with a, a, a million different things not knowing you're going to be lodging that night uh, all sorts of things but like as a leader if nothing else uh, you know take care of your team you can't, you take care of your team the rest everything else will kind of fall in place it'll it'll work out fine uh, but it, but if you if you start to start to show that uh, you know that negative energy or if you get frustrated um, your team members are gonna whether it's noticeable or not at the time. So I think that's something big to, to, to keep in mind um, or something that I tell, tell our, our, our team leads to keep in mind. Um, and then as a team member, uh, you, you said the word earlier is uh, trust. Um, trust and credibility, I think, go a long way. So no matter what, what team you're on, I think it's uh, building that is super important, more, more so than showing your technical skills. Uh, you know, again, you hit on it earlier, it's you, you. You're you're able to recognize the, the FEMA core members who want to learn, uh, who are teachable and coachable, and when you recognize that, you you form trust between those parties. Uh, so I think that's a big part of being a, a team member is showing that you're reliable, uh, showing that you're trustworthy. Uh, I, I, again, I don't I don't think everyone has to be uh, a subject matter expert at what they do, but you can be a, a fantastic team member and be someone that people trust. And yeah. that's those are the types of people that leaders rely on.
0: Well, it's so huge in emergency management. We always say, don't pass out your card in a, in a disaster. It's because people don't trust you, you know? And um, man, that's like, I would say, I don't know about other industries. I'm not an expert in other industries, but emergency management, I I always look for the people who I trust, you know? And if I trust them, then I'll trust their word. I want to work with them. And if I don't, man, it's like I will I will hyper scrutinize everything that they're doing because I'm worried uh you know whether it's competency or, or otherwise, what do I have to deal with that? And there was um there was a personnel issue I had to deal with once where uh my my box was starting to tick of, okay, what's going on here? And um, you know, that individual I had asked him specifically, do not go in and and look at you know a certain amount of data, and I was literally watching them on the server open up different files, and I was like, dude, you're done, you know, and it all he had to do was just you know he had all these excuses of why he thought that was important and da 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 da, and I was like, the best way to build credibility with a a leader is just be ethical in what you do and you know, there's a time and place to try to push those bounds. Again, knowing which rules not to break, you know, and, uh, again, great call out there. Um, which this is kind of off the cuff a little bit, but like, which disaster do you feel like, um, pushed you the most to become a better team member? Was there like one where you're like, it was just like the days were hard. the level of learning was really really tough. And um, like, which disaster would have that been?
1: That's a that's a good question. Um, I think it, it it would have to be the first my first disaster where I was the lead uh, resources leader, and it was a whole three months on the job. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, some excellent. Some, it was, it was a solid. It was a Type Two event in Louisiana. It was a flooding event, but I was able to. I I I had the trust with with my counterparts already because the month previously I was being trained uh, by. Uh, I, she's one of my my big mentors as a resol, uh, Lori Uh She works for region six, and we deployed countless countless events together but we were at a um, a smaller type three event and I was shadowing her and just soaking in everything that she did. And uh, it turned out that the next month we were both deployed to this, this other event. And she's like, you know what? You take lead. And I was kind of like, uh, what do you mean? And, uh, it, it was one of the situations where, you know, I, I, I knew that she was trusting me, um, which I guess, allowed me to trust myself a little bit more. And, uh, it, it was one that I, I really did rely on, you know, our, 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 my team members to help carry me through because again, they trusted me, which I thought was, uh, it was interesting to see because I was the new guy. I was, you know, fresh on the job. I didn't have a, an immense background in the, the specific position that I was performing, but you know, that they saw whatever was something that they're like, Oh, well, this is a, you know, pretty big type 2 event. And you're going to be the lead in this position and like, we'll get through it. Uh, so I think that was a big, uh, a big moment.
0: Yeah, that's cool. And talk so, talking about uh, a leader that helps helped you get out of comfortable into uncomfortable. Um, it's a good call for leadership too. Um, one random uh, memory that I have is um, going down to... Oh shoot! It wasn't Mendocino. It was the fires down south, Santa Barbara, and um, I would say that I mean you can probably confirm this, right? By by that time, you would consider yourself an expert resource unit leader, like you knew your job, like blind, right? You could walk in there and into any disaster and just like check, 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 check. You could you you were able to like, get to that point. But I still remember we were in um in Santa Ro- uh, in San, uh, Santa Barbara. And you're, you came out of the, 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 um, oh my gosh, the tent. And just after talking to the firefighters and seeing everything, how they're implementing I, ICS and you were like, Oh, I have all these ideas for ICS and ICS is so great down here. Do you remember having that experience?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It uh, was super unique experience, but, uh, I, I, this was my plug for tea cards. Uh, Absolutely love T cards, and <laughs> firefighters know how to use their T cards. Um, but I think it's one of the most, you know, efficient, effective ways of, of tracking a lot of
0: resources. Can, uh,
1: but you know, just seeing the organization and all of those things were—I mean, it's going to stick with me.
0: Yeah. Well, the uh, for those who don't know what a T card is, can you just kind of walk through that? What that is, real quick.
1: Sure. So it's a—it's uh, it, like a colored index card that has a like a, 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 a T shape at the top. And it's something that you write the, the resource type on, um, and then specific information about the resource. And they're, they're all color coded so you can, uh, organize them based on that type of resource. You can reflect sort of where they're employed or if they're available. So when situations come up, uh, you know, you can easily make sure that you're uh, allocating them appropriately based on the, the mission objectives.
0: Yeah. And for those who don't know, when he says like there's cards on a wall, he's underscoring that a little bit because I'd walk into this room and there'd be like a giant wall filled floor to ceiling of just cards. And they would be constantly looking at this rearranging as needed and updating. And, and, you know, uh, as a guy who liked digital, I'd always be like, why are they doing this? But it was at the same time when I'd walk in there, you guys all knew exactly what was going on because you could see it all in front of you at the same time. And um, I was like, okay, that's why you do it. Like digital has its place, but also sometimes it is really great just to see in front of you. I'm not making a pitch for doing maps on a wall. I'm talking about T-cards <laughs> because I still hate maps on a wall. Um, Okay. So let's talk about what you're doing right now at FEMA. Um, <clears throat> so like the most obvious question, you kind of talked about this a little bit that every disaster right now uh, is a type one because it's a dual threat and we're dealing with the pandemic what has FEMA been doing throughout the pandemic and what has been your role? Because as I I understand, FEMA Corps had to take a backseat because they couldn't meet in in person for a little bit, right?
1: Sure. So I think, uh, you know, just like everyone else right now, we we are trying to make big decisions with limited information. Um, And there is risk in any decision that's made, right? Uh, So do we have in-person classes? Do we not? Do we open businesses? Do we not? Uh, I mean, everything, everything comes with a risk. Yeah. So, uh, you know, from, uh, as you mentioned, uh, when everything was uh, happening in March, uh, there was a decision to stand out the the MMOGRO program for a little bit to just see what would happen. So with the program kind of uh, on pause, I was able to support a theater for initiatives, which were, again, eye-opening experiences. Uh, my, my first assignment was working on the, uh, community-based testing site task force, cool. um, which was just a phenomenal experience because again, it was right at the beginning of things. And we were trying to figure out how do we, how do we test people? Uh, we know people are getting sick, but how do we determine who's sick and who's not sick? So working with just, I mean, the alphabet soup of agencies, uh, HHS being, you know, principal agency but also a whole bunch of other ones. I was one of the few, the few femites, sort of on the task force, if you will. And we started meeting in person at, at headquarters and going through the, you know, just trying to wrap our head around what was happening. Um, and as we learned more, we, we went to a virtual posture. Uh, and yeah, so it was just, again, you're, you're handed this, this, this problem to solve with no other context information. So we as a task force, uh, it's sort of flexed in size, but the 40, 50, 60 people or whomever that was on it at any given point were given a mission to uh, set up these federal testing sites across the country and test people. And it was just go do it. But with the caveat that there's limited knowledge about this this thing called COVID. There's limited testing capabilities. Uh, you now have to go coordinate with 50 different states and and you know plus territories, which each have their own uh, approaches and thoughts. And uh, I, I won't get into the politics of it. Yeah. Uh, but those are all considerations, right? Yes. Uh, so it was it, it was again it was just a fascinating. Fascinating problems have to be handed in uh, to, to, to see this kind of machine sort of work through um, solving those problems. And then eventually, you know, I, I remember I demoed from the task force, but we had a, a task force reunion, if you will, um, this summer. And it was like, hey, we just tested a million people, so we started. Yeah, that's cool. You know,
0: that's really cool. Testing
1: like we were super excited to get like a, a couple hundred tests a day, right? <laughs> and uh, as the capability capability grew, as like we started, you know, ironing out processes, then it was like, oh, we just tested a million people from based on this program that we started, sort of
0: from nothing mm-hmm. um, at the beginning of things. Yeah, man. There's like, I'd like to do an entire episode just like that, but. Um, a couple call-outs that you, you, you said, and I want to touch base on this because COVID in itself, um, like all other disasters, and this is why I'm saying this, all disasters have a political element to it. And what you said was exactly right. Uh, emergency managers have to stay apolitical, but they have to understand the political impacts of decisions and understand the political constraints of each region, and each region is definitely unique. Um, you know, w- even within a state, we'll go out to a state, and you'll have local communities who are different than the state, obviously. And so, you you're still able to find solutions. And um, it's not, despite that, it's it's part of the process. It's, start, it's trying to understand that. And so, that's a really good call out. And the other call out is sometimes f- people who are not with FEMA, who have not dealt with FEMA a lot, think that it's a FEMA disaster. And what you were just saying is, again, right again, it's a federal a federal disaster. And that's why it's so complex is because you're working with all, the, all these other groups. Um, so really good call-outs there. Um,
1: yeah. And something, um, if, if I may hear, uh, that really stuck out too is... I mean, we as emergency managers, it's, it's sort of what we do, right? Is we respond to things and we, we adjust and adapt. So in a sense, this thing... Wasn't that out of the normal from a typical disaster? Yeah. It was, you know, it was a, we we were given a, you know, delta, a a hand of problem sets to solve and we used the established kind of frameworks that we had uh, to organize, find information, make decisions, and then repeat the next day. Yeah. And then kind of do the same thing. So in a sense, uh, you know, I, I, I saw a lot of kind of the process. The processes be the same, and I think that's where like emergency managers can bring a lot of value to these other agencies who might not kind of go through this process on a daily basis. But we're able to say, "Hey, look, let's pump the brakes for a minute. Like, we there is a framework that we can work within, even though this is some crazy thing that we haven't heard of. But we can kind of dial it back and sort of. I I mentioned thinking outside the box earlier, but now putting it back inside the box. And uh, like using kind of leaning on what we know uh, to figure out
0: what we don't. Yeah. You knew what rules still, still applied. And I I thought about that a lot this year. And I kind of, I think I asked Cameron this, um, the the biggest thing for me was that like, it was, it was the public's awareness of disaster uh, rather than like, I feel like all year, especially as you noted before, like you went to disasters all year before, like you've lived in a response mode continuously before, and so have I, and that's like what kind of I think of. I'm like, well, this year isn't really the problem set is is the same. The disaster type is different right
1: sure and and I think there you know another big uh difference is we typically there's a there is a defined impact area. <laughs> um, you, well, we do have it to
0: find. It. It's global. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yeah, right. You know, you just circle the globe. Yeah. Um but you know, we're coming in as responders, where now we are survivors and responders.
0: And that's time. that's smart, yeah.
1: So, you know, we have to think of our families too and you know that's something that that is you know, when we're asking people 'Cause we're still doing a lot of stuff in person, uh things that we have to do in person. And then you're asking people who, you know, are you willing to take the risk of going into this office, taking, you know, all the standard precautions, but you know, then going back home to your family. And, you know, it that, that's a hard ask.
0: Yeah. Uh especially because it's like um as you work as an, in a federal response where you work with like, as you're pulling the right people in the room, you definitely pull in the the public health experts and you're hearing about the danger and you're like, Oh, like I'm, I'm going to enter in this environment knowing that danger. So, man, this is, so that makes me think like, okay, then what are some of the after actions? Is that an after action for COVID or what do you think some of the other emergency management related after actions are going to be?
1: Uh, I'm sure there's going to be after actions going on for years. I know. Right. Uh, no, I mean, I think it's, it, it just, I, I think, uh, you know, if you want to call this a, a benefit, if you will, of, of COVID is it really is opening a lot of people's eyes to this concept of all hazards and being prepared for all hazards. And, you know, a, a pandemic is like falls on that category. So it's, it's really just sort of a, uh kind of re- reframing I think how how we think about uh disasters threats and how we're preparing for
0: them yeah good point um yeah, public awareness is definitely changing, and I think that's going to uh become more and more evident in the next decade of how we interact with the public as their their awareness just goes up um which could be better or worse depending on um you know how they react to that so uh so, last part with FEMA then is how. So, it sounds like AmeriCorps FEMA Corps is back on on track. Sounds like things are starting to. So, what what are some of the goals moving forward? Um, you know what what they should do if they want to join. I mean, how how does that process work now?
1: Sure. So, we currently have um, it's over a hundred folks in the program, uh, and they're they're deployed across the country. So, we have people that. Uh, Supporting Hurricane Laura recovery, um, no doubt that they will, they will shift, or we, we will redeploy folks to support uh, Hurricane Delta, uh, and we have folks supporting the COVID mission. Um, so we saw a lot of uh, PPE that's you know being being moved around. So so our teams really uh, focus on all of those things, and the the program goals are sort of multifaceted. So on one side we. I mean, it's certainly goal to bring these young professionals and introduce them to emergency management. We as an agency recognize that we invest training resources, uh, time into these folks for their service term, uh, which is about 10 to to 12 months is what they sign up for. And then they they graduate the program. Um, It's a 10 10 to 12 month program and they go on and do other things. And of course we want to, to... capture what we can, um, you know, get a return on our investment uh, and bring them either into FEMA or have them go into some other, uh, you know, aspect of emergency management, whether it's local, state, um, et cetera, because they, you know, they're able to bring that experience to like their local communities. Um, so that's certainly a, a, a large goal of the program. And then the other goal is to uh, supplement our workforce. Uh, we, we have a continuously evolving workforce Uh, our, our problem sets, problem sets shift and we're able to take this program, which, uh, is a very flexible program and sort of plug them in where, where the, where the need is greatest. So the, the, I think one of the greatest things about the program is it's continually changing. Uh, We, we change it every year, uh, based on what, what, what's going on in in our environment. So how we train them, what we train them in, uh, and the sorts of things we deploy them to is just constantly evolving.
0: Yeah. And the, and the events that they respond to, right? Like that, the hurricane of the year, that's the the one they might be going to. Right. Uh, I still remember being very jealous of the FEMA core team that got to go to Hawaii for three months. And I was sitting in I'm at West and like every day they would like send like an email of like, Oh, Hey, we did this today. I was like, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> I need to get out there. So th- th- really cool experiences. And, uh, Quite frankly, man, I hear about um, some of the the team building that has to happen all the time on the road and just doing everything together. Um, I did something else. I I did an internship for for, um, the Red Cross for a year, and I also spent two years in Japan doing something else. And all that volunteer experience and working with other people, and um, I, I count that as invaluable. And so that's what I see as FEMA Corps, as that opportunity to you're going to be put in situations where you're going to have to deal with people for a long period of time and that will push you to be a better person. That'll push you to be more patient or, you know, and, and if you can, if you can go through that process of learning, um, it is not an internship. I've, I've, I've been finally convinced yet. If you do really, (laughs) really good in FEMA core, people want to hire you, Right.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think, I think that's a, a great benefit of the program. Uh, so it, it is a national service program. So these folks that sign up, they don't get paid much. Um, you know, you're, they're, they're volunteering their time. Uh, it, it is an all expenses paid program. So all of your travel, your food, your lodging is, is covered. And our the members that graduate are actually el- eligible for a, um, they receive an education stipend. Uh, so <clears throat> it's the, um, excuse me, I I forget the exact amount right now, it sort of changes, but it's something like $6,500 that can be applied to, you know, federal loans, um, student loans, private loans, or for future uh, education expenses. But the other really cool benefit is that, like you said, they they get noticed throughout their, their work with FEMA, and then FEMA wants to hire them. So we've made it easy for people that go through the program to have the opportunity to interview for FEMA. And that's something that is rare, rarely done, um, you know, in the, the federal government. So I, I think uh, it's, it's, it's invaluable uh, opportunities.
0: It goes back to what you were saying about trust. Emergency managers, but like the number one thing we're looking for is to if I can trust somebody else's work ethic and sure. competency, and that FEMA core experience allows us to see if we trust you or not. You know, and um, like the ones who are humble and teachable and, and do things ethical, like great team members, even like those are the people I'm like, Oh, I trust them. I, I would give a strong recommendation for, or I would hire them um, for sure. And that goes to, you know, Rodney hiring Andy, John, Patrick and McGinn Dana was part of uh, FEMA core as well. Right. Uh, yep. you, and I'm, I'm sure others, and he's given lots of recommendations. And so like, just, uh, I mean, Good call out there. So it's
1: a small community.
0: Yeah, it is a small community. And um I do think the next 10 years, Murrency Mansion is gonna explode quite a bit, uh, especially as situational awareness is going really high in the public. Um and that actually is a really good segue to our last section. Oh man, I wanted to do some music. I never did music for this. Hold on. Wait for this, wait for it. Uh Oh, oh, cheering works. Hey, I was going to do a different one. <laughs> All right, rapid fire. You should know what rapid fire is, especially if you've been listening quite a bit. And so we're just going to ask you some really quick questions, uh, whether it's because I've designed the questions that answered, take too long to answer or because people like answering, it never really works out, but we're going to try it anyways, okay?
1: All right, let's go. All
0: right. So speaking of FEMA and the general public, what is one thing you would like the general public to know if they're listening right now? about FEMA?
1: Uh, disasters are all local. They start and end local. FEMA has a lot of subject matter experts and things. But um, you know FEMA is serves in that advising, supporting capacity.
0: Okay. That's a good answer. Uh, we mentioned that you're a referee before. Hockey referee. So which is the best hockey team and why the Columbus Blue Jackets <laughs> uh,
1: well no, no pun intended but I am a Carolina Hurricanes fan
0: oh really <laughs> <so>. that's awesome <laughs> irony aside <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite player on the team
1: um, no I, I used to uh, I used to follow them a lot more closely I grew yeah. up in the Carolinas but yeah. uh, oh yeah, really I, I thought
0: think... you grew up in Indiana how did I not know this uh, that's funny
1: yeah I just thought of Charlotte yeah Parents live in Indiana,
0: so I claim. I claim both both states. Got it. Got the it. Day. That makes sense. That's cool. Uh, coming from both from the Midwest, I appreciate having another Midwest guy on here. Um, let's see. If you, oh, here we go. If you're going to help out emergency managers of the future, I usually ask this question: What is one piece of advice you'd give for future emergency managers? Get your get your hands
1: dirty. Um, Go out there and get experience, whether it's uh, doing informational interviews, um, volunteering, uh, taking some of those independent study courses. Uh, Just go start learning the terminology and and getting experience, uh, I think is a crucial
0: first step. I haven't heard... Or
1: volunteering with FEMA Corps, of course.
0: There you go. That's a good one. Uh, Yeah, I I haven't heard the informational interviews one, but that's what I did actually. when I was going around applying for jobs, before I even knew what I wanted to do, really, I actually did a bunch of informational interviews, and uh, that's a great call out, um, a new sure. one for sure. All right, so if someone's going to learn about the AmeriCorps uh, program and, and working with FEMA Corps, how would they apply? Where would they would where would they go to look?
1: Sure, if you uh, Google any of those combination of terms, FEMA Corps, AmeriCorps, uh, NCCC, uh, it stands for National Civilian and Community Corps, um. You will find the the application uh, online, which I believe is actually open right now until the end of November uh, for our next cohort of folks that are going to start their, their term of service in March of 2021. Um, so now's a great time to go out there and Google uh, FEMA Core application and uh, see what it takes to either be a core member or a team leader.
0: Great. And then the last question, the very, very most important question of the podcast. Very obvious question. What is the most important or best podcast for emergency managers?
1: Well, it's going
0: to be disaster tough, John. There you go. Great answer. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, Kevin, again, uh, seriously, thanks for coming on the show. You talked about so many great things about leadership, developing that ability to to have established credibility through trust and through training, through um, constantly learning, as you've noted several times throughout here. Uh, we wish you the best of luck as you graduate uh, your your program there with your master's program. And, um, we are grateful for your service with FEMA and, uh, your continued service. And, um, we wish you the best of luck throughout your career. And maybe we'll have you back on the show to talk more about uh, some of those things that we talked about today. But, uh, thanks again for coming on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it, John.
0: So if you liked Kevin Coleman's episode and you want to, uh, to say, hey, thanks for coming on the show, or you have a comment, you can do one of two things. If you have a question that you'd like us to follow up on for a future episode, you can email us at info at dot Or, of course, and you should definitely do this give this show a five star rating, subscribe to the podcast, and follow us on Instagram. We'll be posting a little bit about Kevin on there. And so you can say, hey, Kevin, thanks for coming on the show again. And uh, again, that. Uh, The Instagram channel is Disaster Tough Podcast. Again, the Instagram channel is Disaster Tough Podcast.